0: Something grow. Uh, communism spring up here and we've got to slap it down. If, if it takes over here, it'll take over the rest, uh, rest of Asia. I didn't know anything about that. I'm just a soldier. And it says, this is important for our nation. Our president and our legislatures, our Congress says it's important for our nation. we got to do this. And okay, let's go. I can tell you my three tours, my first tour was, um, we had to be there. By the end of my second tour, I began to think, I'm not certain. And by the end of my third tour, I realized that we did not need to be there. I recall reading the arguments. Some people don't know this, but on, on... now, Ho Chi Minh was a he was a brutal guy. Don't get me wrong. He did some bad stuff. But he reacted that during World War II, when the Japanese invaded Vietnam, he formed a militia called the Viet Minh to counter the Japanese invasion. Mm-hmm. In 1943, he reached out to the U.S. Army, the United States, and said, look, I got this resistance movement. Give me some better weapons. Give me some rifles and some bullets. You don't have to send me your troops. You give me better weapons and we'll kick butt. Basically what he said. Mm -hmm. We sent a paper there. He went, went back to the Pentagon. They recommended that we support Ho Chi Minh. And the political elements of our government at that time said no because he was a socialist. Or so that and we didn't know what it was, don't get me wrong, but he had studied in Stalingrad or something, and uh, we did not support him. <laughs> but we were still an ally, he was still our friend and ally. The first person killed in the Vietnam War was an American soldier in 1945 when the French were there, because well, Vietnam was a part of the. Um, French Indochina, and they had left Vietnam, that area, because they were getting their butts kicked in, in Europe. They came back, and the, Vit- the Vietnamese did not like the French, and somebody responded in French, and some of the Vietnamese soldiers thought it was his hated Frenchman, and he shot this person. It was actually an American officer speaking French. That was the first casualty in 1945. I don't know. Um, It was not pretty. And uh, I think recognized we actually realized that we had no business in telling these people what kind of government they should form.
1: It's like modern day. like When we go and we're fighting wars over in the Middle East and we're sending our troops over there to die, a lot of troops now are saying when they get back, they do two to three tours, and I know several of them, they're all telling me, they go, we're not over there fighting for those people's freedom. We're not fighting for anything they've done besides we're fighting for that oil.
0: The invasion of Iraq by George W. Bush. You remember that invasion that, keeping in mind that Iraq is somehow the center of human existence. That is where writing was created in cuneiform, was in Iraq. The wheel was developed in Iraq. It had a cultural center on the very early elements of our civilization. When the American troops went in, you may recall on TV, they were looting these museums and taking these precious artifacts out. And they asked, well, why did not our U.S. forces secure this building? We left it open. The first building that we sent American forces to secure was the oil ministry building. <laughs> because at that time, the and, and today, 70, over 70% of known reserves in Iraq were untouched. And they had records that went back hundreds of years of old and shell deposits in Iraq in that building. Just a little bit of history most people don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, when people talk about... Now, when they were saying that there was weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, how can America have a breakdown that bad of intelligence that was telling them that we that we had proof that they had mass, uh, weapons of mass destruction. When we were there, we're, we're still there, but, what is it, 20 years? Nearing 20 years we've mm-hmm. been over there? And not one nuke's been found? Not one, I mean, they could dig for years, and I don't think they're going to find one. I don't think they're going to find anything to make one.
0: Well, I think uh, that case was mainly about oil. Yeah. In my opinion. Now. But it is what it is. I mean if you look at that, okay, we look at Vietnam, we we look at Iraq. These these things are our past. All right, let's learn from those. Let's learn from those, okay. Whether they were for political reasons or I can understand on the first argument about Vietnam that if we allow this to happen, democracy will be destroyed. Because we generally are afraid of things that we don't understand. Think about that. Things that we don't understand and things we don't know. People that we don't know are the people that we hate or fear. People we know, we may or may not like them, but we don't hate them and fear them. We just don't like them. It's only these things that we don't understand that we get so... Ramped up about, and and in Winston County in Delmer. one Saturday I came in the volunteer fire department like volunteer fire departments do. They have fundraisers. They were having a fish fry, selling fish plates. Mm-hmm. I got there early. I'm wearing a jacket, took it off, and said, "I'm Rick Neighbors, running for U.S. Congress." <laughs> uh, put me to work. They said, "What? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm." I'll work. Um, tell me, give me something to do. And he said, okay. And he said, you know you're in Trump t- territory, don't you? I said, I'm not running against Trump. <laughs> so they put me to work cutting fish. So I cut fish for two hours. Yeah. And during those two hours, we sat there and several had conversations. We didn't agree, disagree on much on anything. We wanted to feel safe. We wanted medical care. We wanted our kids to have the best education they could. We wanted to hope and to dream. When I left there, they were passing out my cards so and people were buying plates. Not because I was Republican or Democrat, but because we had a conversation for two hours. Yeah, yeah. He smells all right.
1: Who benefits off polarizing us like that? Who benefits the most? Polarizing the entire American population like that, to where the
0: people who make money off from it, some news outlets, yep, benefit from that. Now, keeping in mind, that got changed with the FEC Act in uh, in the Reagan administration. And when we used to, in the Communications Act, I think of 1936, stated that because the political leaders knew that your radio and paper, at that time it was radio, TV was, didn't come on, but it got included in that, television, that you can only own so many newspapers and so many radio stations. You can only be licensed to that. Yeah. Because they knew that you had an opinion. And that's okay. This is America. You have your opinion. And you can even express that opinion. Yeah. And, but I'm not going to give you Carte Blanc that you will suck up all the news media and only your voice is heard. We want to hear from all the voices. So you were limited. I think it was like three you could own. And that is, at a time when you could go in the 60s and in the 70s, you could go from one community to the other and get a newspaper, read the same stories with different editors, different writers, and you would get a different sense of what that act or action or event meant. And we would talk. In 19. 19- in the 80s, they come in and say, well, you're prohibiting my ability to make money. And this is the case of the big guys coming in, buying up the little guys. And this is why you have very few original papers. This is why we have, what, three TV stations, for the most part, getting our news from. And this is where they get their money. And that's why you have the corporations out there. They're buying ads on all three stations because they don't care. They just want to make the money and keep people poor. Anyway. Now,
1: you are the chairman of the State of Current Affairs Committee for the Baptist Student Union.
0: In North Carolina, yes.
1: Tell me about that, because I have no idea what that is. Inform me. I'm ignorant on that.
0: Well, I was a ministerial student at Campbell College. hmm And had a ministerial scholarship. And I was, like most things... This is an area that I didn't know much about. I was learning, learning what it meant to be a Christian. What did that mean not only the theology, but in how you lived and how you treated people? Aisha came up with a famous um, uh, practitioner. And, he's, and he was traveling in other countries he wrote a comment about a black man that was accused of uh, assaulting a white woman and he made some very derogatory comment, derogatory comments about the black man and to me i didn't think was it didn't sit right so i wrote an article and they published it in the campus and then i was told i could no longer they would no longer publish my materials in that paper hmm at that time the death penalty was um, the Supreme Court had ruled had stopped the death penalty throughout the nation because they were applied inconsistently inconsistently and they said they would have to some if you're gonna take a person's life there should be a, some standard for that and they left it to the States then to pass new uh, death penalty laws and the more I looked at that, and I tried to look at that from a life standpoint, from a Christian standpoint, and I say, and, and again, I am post-vet, uh, at that time I'm still a, uh, I'm a non-vet, a young non-vet, and, and as I understood what was the Christian way to be, it just didn't seem right. So I wrote to the, student, uh, the State um, Baptist Student Union and they said I wanted them to take a petition, uh, a position being imposed to the death penalty. And the guy said, well, I have to submit it to the deal, I've got to do this work, so I had to, had to write a thesis paper. They quite did a research on the death penalty and presented that, and they got adopted and a statewide petition ensued from the Baptist Student Union in opposition to the death penalty in North Carolina at that time. Well, after that, they elected me as the chairman for the next year. And it means that you go out and find events that you think that the that body should be interested in. You present it to the body and you just give give voice to that issue. Hmm.
1: Let me ask you. Now, are you term limited? Absolutely. How would you feel about voting for term limits to change Constitution? I know you have to change constitution to implement term you would vote for
0: it. Here I have first of all, I am on record with this organization supporting term limits officially. I struggle with this issue because number one, you do have to change the constitution. And number two is the idea that people should have the right to vote for who they want to. And they want to continue to voting that person in there if they're serving them well. They should have the right to do that. But here's the reality. The reality is where our government has become has become so corrupted with corporate money that the wishes of the people are not getting represented. The people in the neighborhood are not being represented. The rep- only thing we're doing is supporting people that are paid for and bought for by the corporations. So in order to break that log logjam to do something different and maybe term limits is that vehicle where we can return representation back to the people and rather than the corporations and that is why i support term limits
1: now when you say term limits now there's some people on both sides like your opponent he have been there 24 years 23 years mm-hmm. okay you now there's been some people on both sides that have been there, I feel, way too long.
0: Okay, but the question is, earlier a conversation, is what is the purpose of government? It's, it should represent the people. And if those individuals, if we have gone to—and I'm not talking party. Yeah. I'm not talking party. I'm talking about the whole purpose and function of a Republican democracy, a government of and by and for the people, as stated by President Lincoln. How do you and I and the people in this community have a voice knowing that they have a voice and their voice will be heard in the halls of government? I'm not talking about party. I'm talking about the people. And and that is how we can hope for a better tomorrow. That is how we change our neighborhoods as our world turns. As we bring forth our posterity.
1: Now, I've heard you talk about this because I looked into some of your other interviews that you have done, and this is something I want to ask you about because this concerns a lot of district four place district four is um rural
0: mm-hmm six to six percent all right how do,
1: how are we going to provide broadband internet service? Do it How can we make it affordable?
0: In 1936, we only had electricity in our urban communities, just like today we have broadband. Yep. President Roosevelt proposed and the Congress passed the Rural Electrification Act because it says if we're going to progress as a nation, as a people, all of our people n- needs to be part of that process, which includes our rural uh, people in our rural communities. So we passed the Rural Electrification Act. How did they make that happen? The funding, what they did, what the government did, is says, okay, because you don't make people do anything. First of all, you need to understand that. Mm-hmm. What the government can do is provide incentives for the communities to take an action. Provide the incentive. And we, we respond to incentives as you see these sales us all the time, right? So the rural, rural Electrification Act was actually an incentive. It was a m- method to provide long-term low-interest lo- loans for, co- and they formed cooperatives to build these electrical networks. You apply that same strategy to broadband which right now, you've got one only thing you've got is these big corporations fighting over how they're going to make profits out of it. And that's why we don't have that. Well, let's get away from that model, adopt a model like the Rural Electrification Act, and let the communities get that done. And we'll provide the incentive. Incentive is long term, long interest loan. When I'm meaning long term, I'm talking about 20 and 30 year lo- loans to get that in there once you get that in there in these rural communities then the economic benefit will begin to pay off as they participate in world affairs making you can make products and send them anywhere you've got um, Alibaba in China right now is begging people to make products he will buy them pay you in advance so he can ship to China but people don't know that because they don't have access to the network.
1: So you believe that broadband could be the next TVA?
0: Well, I, I don't see broadband and, and t- broadband is, is connecting people where they can communicate in the 21st century. It's like electricity wire, the electrical lines in the mid Twentieth century, T V A being the uh, I would see, and if you did this, you would probably have to create something like a TBA. hmm Yes, would would come as far as an organizational structure. How that would be there? What you have to do is say, all right, we as a people, we're going to do this, like REA. That's first of all, you got to make a commitment and get it done. Part of the issues in back in 1936 is about the electrical lines is I own this and I own that and I own that. And then part of that regulation is if you're qualified to run electric wire and you're the lowest bidder, you can run the electric wire. I don't have to go to Comcast or I don't have to go to CenturyLink. Or I don't have to go to Alabama Power. If you're authorized to do that and you're certified to do that and you can do the work and you're the lowest bidder, you got your job. That was how part of the uh, R.E.A. program that eliminated this greediness uh, and and actually reduced the cost to get it done because everybody's wanting to make tons of money just like right now people want to make tons of money and they're not and the big guys are not going to do there because go there because you don't have the population density to support it. So anyway.
1: Now, would you? Well, let me ask you this because I feel this. I don't feel that there's enough debates, even for local offices. Are there any? No. Why not? Um, because if I had to get up there and tell you about the issues, it might change somebody's mind. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Now, but the reason they're not because the public is not demanding it. But I also suggest in rural, in rule 66% mm-hmm. where people are earning $10 and $11 and 50 cents an hour and they got to work two dang jobs. Maybe it's maybe putting food on the table is more important to many of these families than well electing a political leader.
1: Political leaders affect your life in a big way.
0: You, you, you better believe that especially at that local level. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Now, if Republicans take the House, he's going to be probably the chairman of the. If he wins re-election, he would be the chairman of the Appropriations Committee. Hmm. You do you see any benefit? Any benefit for that for District Four?
0: Absolutely not. Listen, the guy's been there for twenty-four years. He's been on the Appropriations Committee. If if he's going to do something, you see it done now. They had in from 2001 to 2007. You had a, a Republican president, Republican Senate, Republican House, and they didn't get nothing done there. Do you think he's going to do anything else? Why do you not think his present past behavior is not going, is not indicative of what he's going to do next year? If he hasn't done anything in twenty four years he hasn't he didn't do anything the twelve years six years that they control all three branches, why would you think he would do something different?
1: No idea but that was a good answer <laughs> <laughs> that was a very political answer now something that somebody uh, a lot of people I think it is a true I think, I it's a, think a it's a true but it was diplomatic and political <laughs> now let me tell you where I'm leading this to go now. People say that you don't have any political experience, but you do have a degree from UNC at Charlotte in 1979 in political science. You have a political science degree. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have any political experience. Like, you don't, like, you've not held elected office, am I right?
0: That is correct.
1: But now the same people are telling you that elected a president that had no political experience do you feel in 2020 that it's time to get away from these career politicians
0: absolutely i don't care whether republicans or democrats because again going back to the focus what is the purpose of that government the government should represent the people in that neighborhood and if we've got people that don't understand that they should not be there Sure. And if you've got people in the neighborhood that does not know, and you've got people in the 4th District that does not know who Robert Ederholt is. And he's been there 24 years. I would bet you that you've got more people in this district to know that who I am than knows who Robert Ederholt is. Why? Because I'm out there walking the street.
1: Tell me more about you. Tell me some. T- tell the voters something about you that they don't know. I always ask people this question. Tell them something about you that they don't know. Something that just off the wall. Like when I had John Pilate on here, he said, "I'm an animal lover." He was like, "I keep dog food in the car, and <laughs> I feed strays and." <laughs>
0: well, I, for me, we grew up as sharecroppers, and this is a story that, that I do enjoy telling. Uh, some people would think I'm boasting, but uh, but that's not the context. I grew up with black and white TVs in rural areas, and we had world Worldwide of Sports on Sunday. We had Sky King and Sea Hunt. And as a young boy... And we had NASCAR in North Carolina. Yeah. And we listened to on the radio, by the way. It wasn't on TV. And I remember one Sunday, and I must have been 12, 13 years old, with my good friend, Lee McClam. We were walking, as we did, I think, going to his house. And, and I remember saying this some things that I wanted to do when I grew up. I am also remember thinking then if I could only make $200 a week, I'd be rich I would be real rich. <laughs> right? And Because that was unheard of money back then. But the things that I wanted to do, I wanted to drive a race car. I want to fly an airplane, scuba dive, skydive, snow ski and water ski. Because those were, things, those were dreams that someone like me could never possibly do. Just dream about them. Mm-hmm. And I can say that I have done all of those things and now except one, and that's Snowsky. And Now it's, I'm just too old as two. I don't know if I can get that cold. Well, the, but the most memorable story from my youth is encapsulating the tragedy of the assassination of President Kennedy. And I was in the 10th grade And watching this on this black-and-white TV, I felt so moved that I wrote Mrs. Kennedy a condolence letter in my scribbled handwriting. I didn't think anything of it. And maybe three weeks later, I got a small envelope addressed to me, and in that was a thank-you note from Mrs. Kennedy. That was my first connection as a small boy with our government. And this lady says, I exist. And that is a powerful message to know that our government acknowledges our existence. We don't have that today. Shame on us. Well,
1: we are coming up on the hour, and I've got one more thing. Now, I want to give you as long as you want to make your pitch to the voters of uh, this district. Why should they vote for Rick Neighbors?
0: Because I am your neighbor. Number one. I'm just a working guy. Worked all my life. Today, working people cannot make a decent living. It's not by by an act of nature. It's by act of legislation. We can change that. We can change our form of government where we can have conversations. We've got to elect different people. I've just asked you to go to my website, neighborsforcongress.com, and if you like what you read, I'm asking you to vote for me. If we want some if we want something different folks, we got to do something different.
1: Well, I want to thank you for coming up here. And a lot of people don't know this, but we're actually in my house right now. And uh, you came up here and you did this. Of course, I want everybody to know before I stop recording this that I did reach out to the Adderholt campaign and I have not heard anything back from them. Doesn't mean I'm not going to but it doesn't mean I'm going to either. I have to just put that out there to show everybody that I'm not trying to hide anything or I'm leaning one way or the other. So, Rick, of course, I want to thank you for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And I want to thank you for your time. And this has been Cummings Culture episode whatever. <laughs> uh, remember, go to Twitter, Facebook, follow us there. All right, everybody, I got to go. We're not controversial. We're just culture.